Oh, you can be seated. Let's go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I typically teach your high schoolers in the back, and we have a thing that we do. And um, at their request, I'm going to do this. So just bear with me. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, before we asked, you know, had ushers come down, but we'll ask one more time. Does, does anybody need a Bible? So that's what it's like in youth group. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway, that being besides the point. Being besides the point. Uh, we're in Galatians five, and we're covering a passage that's pretty uh, familiar, pretty regular. Hopefully, it's one that you have read uh, over uh, probably consistently or a couple of times uh, before. But you know, there's this kind of, I guess you could call it a, a passion of mine in Bible study. Um, each, I guess, teacher has their own particular flavor or passion for, like, the thing that they try to emphasize upon. And um, if you've ever had, like, a situation where you're, like, speaking to either a teenager or a child or, or something, or it doesn't have to be this way because it happens with my wife as well, um, but where you're, you're speaking and they're speaking and you're using generically what could be said are the same words, but there's actually no communication going on at all, right? right? We're familiar with that, that happening where you think you're saying something, somebody else thinks that they're saying something, and you might even be saying essentially like the same like English words are being used, but actually you guys are not saying anything related to each other. Right? And this actually is something that, uh, you know, for me, uh, in teaching the Word, um, it, it is a point of, of, of necessary clarity for me. My goal here today is for clarity, right? That these phrases, there are things that we're going to talk about that perhaps we have discussed before, but that are commonly stated, right? But then the question has to be asked, do we mean the same thing when we're talking about that, right? And um, in particular, right, we're going to see that we're going to talk today about walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, right? And, and we throw around phrases all the time, right? Things like, well, I want to be filled with the Spirit. That was a very spiritual experience. And do we mean the same thing? Are we on the same page about what is meant? And more importantly, do we mean the same thing that God means? Right? Do we mean the same thing that he means when he's talking about walking in the Spirit and the result of that and these kinds of things? And so uh, I think, you know, honestly, that uh, if we take an honest look, a lot of our difficulty, perhaps, in walking in the Spirit and finding a life that looks like when you read this list of the fruits of the Spirit and things, and you, and you say to yourself, I don't, I don't really think that these things are essentially very much a part of my life, I think we can trace a lot of that to a misunderstanding about what's being stated and therefore an inability to uh, appropriate what's being said unto yourself because you have one idea about what God means by walking in the Spirit and, and then God has something else that He's trying to communicate about what He means about walking in the Spirit. We have a lot of influences in life that, that drive us to kind of make uh, our realm of understanding of how we interpret and how we understand the words that are communicated to us. And, and we have to be very, very careful because there are other influences out there to change the meanings of words that you think mean one thing and then the Bible uses them and they don't mean the thing that you thought that they meant. You know, one such word that's just commonly used, right, is the word love. And if we were to just work on it from a, from a worldly perspective, right, if we were just to look culturally at what we would say the world looks at for the definition of love, you would reach a very, very different conclusion, right, than what God describes as love. And therefore, if you fail, if you fail to disregard the world's notions of what it means to be loving and what that looks like, and you seek to apply it to what the Lord is talking about, you will find that you have no power to follow the Lord's instructions at all, 
right? And that you have no understanding of what he's actually communicating to you, right? So, so hopefully as we go through this, right, my, my goal is that we, we come to a place of clear understanding, right? Um, and so let's, uh, let's just begin. Let's begin. So uh, Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. Again, this is probably a common passage for many of us. <clears throat> it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will <clears throat> have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. That's the, the passage we're going to focus on here today. We're going to start from beginning to end, and we're going to tag on something um, at the end, because what I want to note here is that we do, we want the clarity of understanding what it, what it means to walk in the Spirit, because Paul actually, he lays out for us by these particular words that he's using as he's describing this process. He really clarifies so many things for us about what God means to, by being filled with His Spirit, being able to exhibit fruits of His Spirit and these kinds of things. And, and we're going to look, once we pass through this passage, we'll see uh, spiritual life essentially in three contexts as well, both personally, right, corporately amongst the body, and then like to the world itself, right, that there are three areas and three avenues to follow the Spirit in there. So let's just begin. So beginning in verse 16, as we look at it, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the first thing to note here is that walk is to, is to conduct, to, it's a manner of conducting yourself. When you talk about walk, it's actually talking about this sense of there is a path laid forward, a trodden down path already laid, and you are walking upon that path. Right, it's the same kind of phrase that's used in Ephesians 5 when he says to walk circumspectly. It's a path laid down. Right? And so <clears throat> and the path laid down is within, the boundaries of it are within the Spirit. Right? And so he's saying that the conduct that, we, can, that we, we exhibit in our life should be held into some kind of container that is the Spirit, whatever this means, to be within the Spirit. And the first thing that I wanted to note here in this verse Right, is, is this here. It says, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I think of a common misunderstanding right, that we have about walking in the Spirit is that we assume that when we say that we're walking in the Spirit, that it means that we automatically have new and perfect desires and that the, the, there is nothing inside of us anymore that is fleshly or antagonistic towards the Lord. But that's not what he says here at all. That's not what he's saying here at all, right? When he's talking, when he gives this promise that walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, he doesn't say walk in the Spirit and you shall not have lusts of the flesh, right? It's a very, very different thing, right? Uh, the word fulfill here is the word teleo, right? And it means to bring to completion the lusts of the flesh, right? And turn with me to James 1 because we see another, we see what the result of the completion of the lust of the flesh is there. So James 1, real quick. 
James 1 concerning trials and temptations. In verse 13, James 1.13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, his own lusts, and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown. The word full grown there is the same word. It's parataleo, so it's added on for the when it is part, right? So when it comes to completion is what he's saying there, then it brings forth death, right? You see, walking in the Spirit isn't saying you will never sin again, nor will it, is it saying you will never have a desire to sin again. It is saying that if you conduct yourself in accordance with the Spirit, you will not be overcome by the desire to sin again. That you have a way of escape from that desire. See, we're never called the Lord. He doesn't pretend like he doesn't know what our situation is when he makes these callings upon our life. He's not saying that you're never going to struggle with this, right? What he's saying is, is that he has given you a means to overcome, right? It's, it's probably best stated uh, when it says in 2 Corinthians 10, right, that we are called to take every thought, what, captive, right, to the obedience and the submission of Christ, right? Any high and exalted thought against him, we bring it captive. That means what? Those thoughts will still be there, right? It's not our job or it shouldn't be our expectation to assume that those things won't be a part of our life going forward, right? It's our job to walk in the Spirit, right? And therefore, as we do so, when those desires come, we will not bring them to their completion, right? We will not bring their... You, you will still be tempted, but you don't have to give in. Verse 17. Now he, he goes in here as he talks about verse 17. He says, The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. I'm going to tag this in here because he's describing a state where you, you're not being led by the spirit and then, uh, um, and then he, he continues on here. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So I'm going to tag these together because... The next thing that we have to understand about walking in the Spirit that he's pointing out here is that it is in direct opposition to walking in the flesh, right? There is no part of, of adhering to fleshly desire that is ever in line with walking in the Spirit, right? And look, when we talk about adhering to the, the, the flesh here, the flesh, it, it says it lusts against its desires are in opposition. The word against is to stand on the opposite end of a battle formation. You know what I mean? On the opposition end, right? The flesh is at war against the spirit. And likewise, the spirit is at war against the... I want, God is not interested when he gave you his spirit. He's not interested in the preservation of your flesh. Do you understand that? Right? We are getting a new body. This flesh is going away. And let me tell you what, that's the worst news for the flesh, right? <laughs> this is why the flesh is lusting against the Spirit. This is the testimony of the Spirit is we're doing away with this thing, right? All of its sinfulness, all of its decay, all of it is going away, and I'm getting something new, and the flesh just says, I'm going to fight that, right? I, 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 I need to live. I need to continue. I need to preserve myself. I need to do whatever is necessary. And guess what? If you agree with the flesh on that, right, that this and all of its passions and everything that it wants to experience here and now in the temporal and the material, right, if you agree with that, you will never actually be walking in the Spirit. Because to agree with the flesh that it must be preserved at all costs is to stand in opposition to the testimony of the Spirit. Right. And so we have to understand, we have to understand that these two are in opposition. Now normally, normally what this would do, if you turn with me real quick to Romans 7, what this does apart from the gospel, apart from having the Spirit providing us 
the, the means by which to act. This is actually a very tricky spot to be in because in Romans 7, uh, the Lord gave us the law, right, or gave Israel the law, right, uh, in the Old Testament, and it didn't do anything against the flesh, right? Twice Paul mentions this. He mentions here Romans 7. He mentions it over in Colossians 2 that the law is powerless against sin in the flesh, right? Look at this here, what it says here. Uh, Romans 7, verse 7, right? He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin, right? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. He's like, you know, the law itself isn't evil, right? That's not the problem. He says, but sin, sin, and he's not talking about like sins like the activities. He's talking about that nature, that nature deep within you. He's saying this taking the opportunity by that commandment to not covet, right? It produced in me all manner of evil. There it is again, the lust, the desire, all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Sin had no power. Sin could, until, until the law came, sin was like, I mean, people died and people were in sinfulness. But like, once the law came, something even essentially worse happened, right? I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, it deceived me and by it killed me, Right? He, what is he saying? He's saying, look, when the law came, I was so entrenched in my sinfulness, though I was unaware of it, right? The law made me aware of it, right? But what it also did was it enticed my own sinfulness to stand up against it, right? Because the law was never made to empower you to not sin. The law was simply given to inform you that you're trapped in sin, Right? And furthermore, to basically make you more trapped in sin, right? In the sense that you're aware and you're in further rebellion because what do you want to do? You want to prove God wrong, right? That's the whole aspect of sinfulness there, right? And, and so then you're living this dual life, right? Where on the one hand, because sometimes some, there's, there's, there's giving in. To like the full pleasure and everything like that, and then there's there's those who are actually trying to like you know live up to the law of God, right? There's 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 that aspect too, but in in without the power of the Spirit, as you're going and you're and you're walking and you're attempting to fulfill this law, right? That is that is laid out for you. Right? You just like the Ten Commandments or whatever you, you do so, right? What you find, what Paul goes on to describe as he describes further in Romans seven, is is that with the mind, you affirm that, yeah, that I want to do what God wants to do, what he says, but I find in myself no power to do so. Right? Paul, he's like, oh, wretched man that I am. Right? He's like, he's, he's in a conundrum. And that's what he described back here in Galatians 5, if you'll turn back there. He says, these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You see, if your Christian life is marked so much right, by, I want to do what God wants me to do, but I'm not finding the power to do so, right, then you have to step back and ask yourself, am I walking in the Spirit, right, because this flesh lust against the, the, the Spirit and the Spirit lust against the flesh, it's, it's the result of not yielding to the Spirit, Right? Because with your mind, you're at least intellectually affirming that what God wants is good, but you're not submitting completely to what the testimony of the Spirit is because the Spirit isn't just telling you the law. Right? Look, if, you're, if your relationship with Christ, if your walk with Him, if your attempt to walk in the Spirit ends at just attempting to follow the law of God, you will find yourself powerless. You will find yourself powerless. But if you are led under the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 18. If you're led under the Spirit, you're not under the law. This law of sin and death has no actual hold over you. Where the law was powerless, the Spirit is powerful. Right? Where the law was. And so we have to break away, break away from our attempts 
to live up to the law by our by our self-righteousness in that sense, right? And we have to like be very intentional about that because our default is to do so, right? We essentially have two defaults. Either we're in total rejection of the Lord and just seeking to please ourselves, right? Or in an attempt to please the Lord, we're seeking to do so by our own means, right? And both are absolutely ineffective. Both are absolutely ineffective. And so we have to be led by the Spirit, Now, I'm going to skip over real quick. Um, well, I'm not going to totally skip over, but okay. I'm not going to, do, I'm not going to like, give you a long discussion <laughs> about everything that's listed here in the, in the works of the flesh because that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage in both parts, when it lists the fr- fruit of the Spirit and when it lists the works of the flesh, is not for you to create a list and go, I need to avoid these things and I need to do these things. Right? I think we like to do that and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I finally have a list of things to avoid. And, I, and what have you done? You've gone back to a law, haven't you? Right? That's not the point. What he's saying here is, is that you can, know, you can know whether you're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit based on the result. Right? The result of such is evident. Right? The works of the flesh are evident and they're this incredibly, you know, long list of things that you know you look at and you're like oh man some of these are terrible and then some of them are like oh selfish ambition right? you're like oh well, darn it right <laughs> i think i was walking in the flesh earlier today you know like <laughs> right and here's the thing let's be very clear right because we, i think we flesh is one of those terms that we do use and we sometimes maybe don't know exactly what we mean when we're talking about this is the flesh doing this thing, right? Like, do I mean like my skin? What, what do I mean, right? <clears throat> and look, the flesh is basically to, to, to be fleshly minded, right, is to be focused only on the physical, right? Uh, to the to the degree, to the degree, right? That for you, all that will matter is the sensations, experiences, and 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 feelings that you get from the activities that you do, right? In the sense of, do you want excitement? Well, my goal then is to feel excited at every point in life and I will do whatever is necessary to do so. It's a pursuit of the flesh, right? Do I want, right, sexual fulfillment outside of the the confines of what the Lord has given to us in marriage and I want that above all pursuits, right? You're giving in to the flesh because you are putting a physical sensation, a physical experience, a physical motivation above above the word of the Lord. Right? It's not to say that those those, those things don't like exist in you. It's not to say that you shouldn't have feelings. Right? We're not trying to be stoics here who are just like, yeah, you know, feelings are evil. Right? But what we're saying is, is that what you feel and the sensations you experience are not the chief end of life, right? They're not the chief end of life. But if you act like they are, if you act like you are, you will find yourself walking in the flesh. And the result of that, right, the result of pursuing only the experiences and the feelings and the, and the passions are that you will be led away into Here's the passions, the adulteries, the fornications, the uncleanness, the lewdness, the idolatries, the sorceries. But then in, in the realization that none of those passions are met, right? Because sin is only pleasurable for a season, but it brings forth death. And in that, the face of that realization, but without repentance, you are led away to what? All of the hatred, contentions, jealousies, and outbursts of wrath, aren't you? Because it's not working, Right? Pursuing the flesh isn't working, is it? It's not satisfying, 
right? What's left but the rage, right? And then there's, there it is, the selfish ambitions, the internal focus on yourself, seeking to please yourself, dissensions, you're disregarding others, heresies, you're disregarding the Lord, envy, you're seeking out what others possess because you don't have it yourself, of being led away into murders, drunkenness and revelries. At the end, you know, you've got the, the last two there that are essentially in the, in, the, in, in the extreme weakness of your flesh. You're like, well, I might as well just do what I can to enjoy what I have, whatever, and, and, and forget, right? A lot of people drink to not focus on life, right? number of coworkers that I have are like, yeah, I just can't wait to get to the end of the week so I can drink and forget the whole week, you know, like, like, you know, that's why, because they're finding no fulfillment in the flesh. They're finding no fulfillment because they don't realize that they're walking in the flesh, but the results of it are evident. So let's not be found with those things because they are, they are not solely like a list of things to be avoided. They are the evidences that something deeper is wrong. Right, that you're giving in to this idea that what you must please is your flesh. Right? But, but, as we continue, he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is something else. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is something else. And, and I think we have to be again clear. We have to be clear here. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is fruit, and therefore it is a result. It is not the chief aim or goal in itself. And so here's something I, I, I hope comes out correctly. Right? <laughs> right? If you look at this list and your only thought is, I want to possess these things so that way I can have them, right? then you're not pursuing the Spirit. You're pursuing the fruit as the goal, right? The, the fruit isn't the goal. The fruit is the result, right? We're pursuing something else, and the result of that pursuit is that the fruit is present, right? Guys, the, the chief end of what the Spirit calls us into is not just that we would have nice lives, right? It's not just that we would feel loved, right? And it's not just that we would feel comfortable and be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, yay, good, I'm doing good today, right? And, and so if you look at like something like, oh yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, and you go, man, I don't feel loved, I don't feel joyful, and I don't feel peace, but I'm going to pursue the Spirit, so what? So I can feel those things? Do, do you hear that's a pursuit of the flesh, isn't it? Right? You want the sensation and the experience of being, I want the highs of joyfulness and, that, that, uh, and what, what we think of as love and all of these things, and I want the tranquility of peacefulness and all of that, right? I want that feeling to be a part of my life. Guys, if, if that's where your, 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 your goal is, you'll never get it. Because these fruits don't come by pursuing the fruits. They come by following the Spirit. Right. So that's the first thing. But secondly, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and so we'll turn to John 15 because it, it tells us pretty much basically what, what we need to, to, to hear about how this is a result. So John 15 for you here. What? <laughs> I was in Acts 15. I'm like reading. I'm like, what am I looking at? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is not John. Okay, here we go. John 15. Jesus talks to us about this relationship between himself, the Spirit, the Word, us, and the fruit that we bear. He actually talks about it. So he says, I am the true vine. This is beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Okay, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. 
In short, following the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is abiding in Christ. You see, our chief end is not to a cause or to a set of accolades or to a set of feelings. Our chief end is to a person, right? That Christ would be at home with us and we would be at home with Christ, right? Look, if you're, if you're married, right, then, then you know, like, after a long day of work, it's really nice to come home, right? Why? Because, like, you love your wife and kids, hopefully, right? You know, <laughs> right. And hopefully, they're also joyous when you come home, right? And that, that when that experience happens, right, it's, it's this, this place of everybody is at home together in spite of anything else that's going on, right? Being together is far more worth it, right? Look, are you at home with Jesus and is he at home with you? Jesus makes actually a very clear way in which we can be at home with him. He says, he continues on, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch, is withered. They, they throw him into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right? My words abide in you. Right? Guys, walking in the Spirit is as simple as consistently receiving, accepting, and aligning yourself to the testimony of the Spirit. Right? To what He declares. You know? And look, what he declares isn't, as we just saw, it's not just the law of God. Right? He's not, he's not, people go, oh, it's biblical. Yeah, it is biblical. But like, the number of times that you can take a Bible passage out of context and, and then throw it around and say, it's biblical, right? So much of history can be accounted to people doing that. Right? So, it's biblical, but in 1 John, which we'll get to, which we'll get to, 1 John 4, right? In the morning, we'll get there. Will, we'll get there like next year sometime, right? <laughs> um, right? It says that the spirit, you can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, right? Spirit of truth is what? Anything that confesses that Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. You see, Jesus, we'll get to it when we look later, but later right here in the next chapter, John 16, he talks about the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit's sole focus, the Spirit's testimony is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right? It's not the law, the law, the law. It's not work hard, work hard, work hard. It's Jesus from beginning to end. It's Jesus justified you. It's Jesus is sanctifying you. It's Jesus will come back and you will be glorified with him. It's Jesus at all times, right? And if you don't abide in that word, right, you will bear no fruit. If you cling to your own work, you will bear no fruit. If, if you cling to your own passions, you will bear no fruit. Guys, basically the testimony of the Spirit is this. Is you're not the main character of God's story. And either you can choose to agree with that and align yourself accordingly, or you cannot. Right? But one of those is walking in the Spirit, and the other is not. Right? Either Jesus is the main character or you're somehow trying to make yourself the main character, right? Guys, the story is about Jesus and what he's doing. And so then the Spirit is testifying of that to us and calling us into the reception of that. And as we abide in that, right, then the fruit comes. Then the fruit comes. And... and <clears throat> Before we, um, 
I'm going to finish up, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to finish up and I'm going to go back, okay? Because we're going to see the three avenues of this expressed walking in the Spirit. Um, so let me continue onward. Let's go back to Galatians 5. <clears throat> and he says here, right, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. There it is again. Right, this opposition of the spirit to the flesh. One of the chief ways, right, of knowing that you are walking in the spirit, as it were, right, is, is that you have intentionally reckoned yourself dead to sin and, and, and your flesh. Right? You can read Romans 6 on your own time, right? but read Romans 6, because it makes a very clear thing when it states this, right, that we who have been crucified into Christ uh, I'm sorry, we have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death so that the life of Christ might also be manifest in us. And then he continues on and he gives more theological explanation and he makes a conclusion, Paul does in Romans chapter 6 there, and he says, therefore reckon yourselves dead to sin. Right? Guys, crucifying your flesh isn't like go and like hurt yourself. That, that's not crucifying your flesh. Right? Crucifying your flesh is treating the desires of your flesh as if they are irrelevant to what you need to do to accomplish God's, life, God's will. Right. Yeah, you can be in pain in the middle of doing God's will. Yeah, you can be sad. Right. Yeah, you can, you can find that these things are difficult and you're tired and you're hungry and you're hard-pressed. But, but, it doesn't matter because as you die under the weight of that, you know that the life of Christ is on the other side. Guys, there's no resurrection without a death, right? If we refuse to die, we can't partake in the resurrection either, right? I'll read this to you, 2 Corinthians <clears throat> Chapter 4, and then I'll, I'll move on here. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul states it this way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the... This is first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Describe, he's feeling pressure, but he's not crushed. Right? We are perplexed, and yet we're not in despair because we're perplexed. Right? Like, he's living a life. He's like, I don't know what to do. Right? And you might think, you know, not to like go off on people who, you know, say, say things that are well-meaning advice and things. You're like, you know, if the Spirit confirms it to you, you'll have like a, a, an assurance and a peace about it. It's like, Paul was sometimes very confused. Right? He was very confused. You know, sometimes just stepping out in faith means I have no idea what I'm doing, but I sure hope that the Lord... Um, you know, is, 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 I, I at least know that what I'm doing is in, in the will of the Lord, and that's it. I got, got no, no idea otherwise, right? <clears throat> Where was I? Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Look at these, the, the things when he puts the but in there, right? All of those things are because he's adhering to the testimony of the Spirit. He's like, I might be beat down. We might be being kicked out of the culture, Right? Right, like the, they might not be passing laws that are that are beneficial to Christian morality, right? He's like, but you know what? We're not destroyed. We're not destroyed. We might be beat down. We might be cast out. We might be persecuted. We might be killed. But we're never destroyed. Why? Because we believe the testimony of the Spirit. Because we believe the testimony of the Spirit. And so, uh, continuing on, uh, back to Galatians real quick. Personally, right? Personally, right? In your personal life, walking in the Spirit means understanding, right? If you want these fruits, right? If you want to, it means understanding who, so there's a who, there's, you know the who, what, where, when, why, and how, right? We've got a who, we've got a what, and we've got a how. For those who like notes, that makes sense, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> we, we have to understand who the Spirit says that we are and what we possess in Christ. 
Footnote. These fruits, hear me out. God never blesses just so that way you can hold on to the blessing. You understand? You're never given something so that way you can just hold on to it. We see it all the way back with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And then he says, what, what did he say? Immediately following in his promise to Abraham, he said, through you, all the nations will be blessed. Right? Guys, the chief aspect of receiving these fruits is not so that way you can, again, like I said before, feel comfortable in your own skin, but so that way they can be used to bless others. Right? Look, and you will have nothing to give others if you don't first receive these things from the Lord. Right? And so here's the thing. Uh, when, when we're talking about personally, we have to understand all of these things are given to us by the Lord Himself. And you see, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We only have it to give to the degree that which we understand God loves us. Right? To the degree that you understand God's love for you is the degree that you'll be willing to give love out. Right? The joy that he's speaking of here, right? Joy is usually spoken of in a circumstantial sense. And it is also here spoken of in a circumstantial sense. Right? But it, the circumstance is one in which is never changing. Right? There is a circumstance, guys, that the Spirit, the testimony of the Spirit is. There, there is a circumstance of life that you can always be joyful in and therefore always have joy in the midst of all other circumstances. And that circumstance is that you are redeemed in Christ. That stands absolutely unchangeable. Everything else can change. Everything else can falter. But you can still have joy. Why? Because there is a circumstance by the testimony of the Spirit that you adhere to, that you receive, that you walk in, that gives you joy. All of these are the result of understanding what we possess in Christ. You can read 1 Corinthians 2. You can read Romans 5. 1 Corinthians 2 and Romans 5. And you'll see there that one of the primary things that we've been given in the Spirit is the knowledge of what we possess in Christ Jesus. Right. Uh, Highlighting here, chapter 6, brethren, if a man is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual. What is he talking about here? Look what he says. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Like, why does this follow the discussion of the Spirit? Because the Spirit, when the corporate action, the manifestation of walking in the Spirit, is walking in unity. Right? Is walking in unity. And in verse 26 there, you see that the chief breaker of unity is pride. Right? Humility and love are absolutely necessary in order to maintain unity. Right? Ephesians chapter 4 tells us precisely that we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit has unified us through Christ, right? Or Christ has unified us through the Spirit. That's a theological debate for another time, right? <laughs> right? But, um, but by our humility and love, we maintain that, right? And so he calls us here not to be provoked. Right? And then he calls us as well to not think too highly of ourselves and to consider that we can also be tempted. Right? You think you're spiritual, but I tell you what, your spirituality will end very fast if you think that you're more righteous than another person. Right? You have to sit in the humility. Right? And you have to follow the Spirit in the humility and the love necessary to maintain the unity. In other words here, we must be pursuing what the goals of the Spirit are. Right? The Spirit has some goals. He wants to make us together like Christ. And if you stay with that in mind, if you follow His goals and not your own goals for, for these things, right? if you have your own goals for the body of Christ, well, you know, you're not going to be walking in the Spirit in that aspect, right? The Spirit has goals in mind, right? Aligning yourself with His goals, which chiefly involves on your part this humble, loving attitude. Now, finally, finally, I want to close up with a very interesting look here because there is, a, there is a third aspect of walking in the Spirit, a third avenue by which we walk in the Spirit and that's expressed, right? There's, there's that personal reception that kind of empowers you Right? That we talked about, understanding who you are in Christ and what you possess in Him. Right? There's, there's that call to, as a, as a body, be humble and loving. Right? But the, the Spirit has another ministry. Right? The Spirit's ministry isn't just to the body. 
right? As a matter, so turn with me back to John 16, where we'll finish up as we see the last aspect of walking in the Spirit here. <clears throat> John chapter 16 says this. We read it in our scripture reading. I'll begin in verse 8 or verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, I'm going to pause there. Note this. I think a lot of times we read this and we think that like spirit is like in the air generically doing these things. Like when he has come, like generically, like conviction of sin will will happen, conviction of righteousness will occur, right? Because he's like this this ghosty force in the air or something, right? That's doing these things. No, 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 no. Because look at what it says. It says, I'm going to send him where? To you. And so when he has come, where where has he come? To you. So this is action through you, right? This is action through you. And so walking in the Spirit means both being on target with what He wants to do in the world and with the means by which He wants to do it. Because look, we actually get both listed out here for us. He says here when He's come, He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So we know what we should be about. We should be about in the world Conviction, which is not just like shouting out, right? The word conviction there is about exposing and making manifest and making known, right? So we should be about showing these things, showing that sin is real, righteousness is real, and appending judgment, right? And he clarifies the mechanisms by which we do so, right? In the spirit. And he says this, of sin because they do not believe in me. He doesn't say of sin because they don't follow the Mosaic law. Right? He doesn't say of sin because you know they, they, they've killed so many people and done the no, no, no. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Right, guys, our testimony to the world in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit and possessing the love and the fruits and those things as we go to the world begins by focusing on the right things when we're communicating with the world. And the right thing to focus on in the communication of sinfulness is that they are under sin not because of the actions that they take, but because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is central. Jesus Christ must be central. Secondly, of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. This one's tough. This one's really tough. Because what he's saying here is that through you, they see Christ. Because Christ isn't here anymore. He goes far. They don't see him. So that means that righteousness, the world will see righteousness not by your proclamation of the law, not by your proclamation of that which is right, but by your life which is lived in righteousness. This is a call to holiness. This is a call to living differently than the world. This is a call to having your actions dictated by the right relationship that you have with the Lord and that looking different to the world. Looking different enough to the world that they're convicted that there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live, not because you stood up and had a picket sign and said there was a right way to live and a wrong way to live, but because your life showed them that there was a right way to live and a wrong way to live. And finally, of judgment, right? Because the ruler of this world is judged. Guys, we get so caught up. And I understand it's it's tough. You know, having kids, you don't want them to be exposed to certain things and whatnot. And and the world is just, it's a tough place. It's a tough place to be in, right? And we look forward to the return of Christ, right? But We don't look forward to the return of Christ because of the judgment of people. Right? We look forward to the return of Christ because He is going to remove the power of the ruler of this current age and He's going to set up His kingdom where righteousness dwells. Right? And that means that as we speak of the pending judgment, right, to walk in the Spirit is to emphasize with such urgency right that you do not want another human being in that judgment god isn't here to judge the people except the people who 
have aligned themselves with the ruler of this world, whom he is judging for sure, right? His judgment is coming, the, the, the ruler of this world, his kingdom is ending, right? And we don't want anybody. We don't want anybody on that side of the judgment, right? Guys, walking in the Spirit calls us to that sense of urgency, right? Because there is a judgment coming, right? And so, as we wrap up, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're clear, right, on, on what our, what it means to be walking in the Spirit, to, to, to hear Him and receive and listen to His testimony and, and confine the activities of our life, right, to that which he, he wants to do. Let me, let me close with this, though. I think sometimes we, we see these things and we're like, oh, so you just want me to, uh, you know, sit in my room and read my Bible and, and pray for like 15 hours and then like the other time that I'm awake just be an evangelist, right? Like that's, that's like it. This is the, that's it. That's the entirety of my life, right? Look, no, 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 because we get wonderful passages, things in Colossians, things in Thessalonians and stuff. It's like things like everything you do, everything you do, do as unto the Lord, right? Guys, leaving the testimony of Christ everywhere you go, glorifying Christ in the Spirit and walking with Him doesn't mean that you read your Bible for 15 hours. It means that the Word of God is hidden in your heart. Right? It doesn't mean that you're an evangelist on the side of the street just shouting out. It means that the actions of your life reflect Christ's love and life in all things that you do. Whether you're doing work, right? Whether you're being a father, whether you're hanging out with your friends, every avenue of life is following the Spirit so long as it's doing what the Spirit is doing, which is always glorifying Jesus, making Him known, right? We just, wanna, we just want people to see Jesus in us. That's it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you for giving us your spirit and that by him, Lord, that you, you, you give us all that we need to, to walk in your power, Lord, and through us, Lord, that we would be able to bear fruits of righteousness, Lord, that... You would give us that love and that joy and that peace that the world would see, that they would taste, and they'd see that it's good. They'd see that you're good. They'd be drawn to you. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. Lord, help us to be submitted to the Spirit. And in doing so, Lord, may we bear much fruit for you. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.